0: Hey there everyone, Rick Cole here and you are listening to the 50 Years Ago in Hockey podcast. We come to you each week in the beautiful Niagara region of Ontario, Canada and we bring you hockey and sporting news from the world 50 years ago this week. This time around we're in the week of May 11th to 17th, 1970. Our podcast each week is made possible by our two sponsors, We're sponsored by newspapers.com, the world's largest online archive of uh, newspapers and their supports crucial to our research. They allow us access to all the hockey news from the 1970s. We're also sponsored by the Breakwall Brewing Company located in beautiful downtown Port Coburn, Ontario. Uh, While we're in this uh, quarantine with the pandemic going on, they're not open for regular business, but they're still producing amazing craft beers and are available for takeout and uh, curbside pickup at the restaurant. In last week's show, well, the big news, of course, we talked about was the Boston Bruins winning the 1970 Stanley Cup, which was their first in 29 years. We had Jacques Plant talking about his career and his future with the St. Louis Blues and goaltending in general right from his hospital bed in St. Louis and we had a lot of other off-season items that were setting up the stage for a very busy National Hockey League off-season. Now this time around We're going to cover the two remaining hockey series of interest. Uh, That would be the Memorial Cup, emblematic of junior hockey supremacy in Canada, and the Calder Cup, not the NHL Rookie of the Year award, but the American Hockey League Championship Calder Cup. And both of those series would follow scripts similar to that of the NHL. We'll have some shocking news out of Boston that was revealed just four days after they won the Stanley Cup. And we'll learn about a National Hockey League star being badly injured in an automobile accident. Lots of other news, rumors and such as well going on this week, so let's get to it. The Memorial Cup was originally known as the OHA Memorial Cup and was donated by the Ontario Hockey Association way back in 1919 to honor soldiers killed in the First World War. It was initially awarded to the National Junior Hockey Champions of Canada, uh, but later it came to represent the top junior A team in the country. Junior hockey in Canada back then was just one level, but in 1934, junior hockey was divided into two classes, A and B. Later on in 1971, junior A hockey was once again divided, this time into a two tier system, and the Memorial Cup remained with the higher classification to represent the true junior champion of the highest level of junior hockey in Canada. The 1970s final between the East and West featured the Montreal Junior Canadians, who were the Ontario Hockey Association champions and eventually the Eastern champions, and they were playing the Western champion. The Weyburn Red Wings who were out of Saskatchewan. It was generally thought, And it turned out quite correctly so that the baby Canadians were the far superior club to the Red Wings and they proved it with a convincing four straight game win. On the ice, based on the play, there really wasn't a lot of unexpected things happening in that series. The junior Habs were slated to win, expected to win, and they did. But off the ice, there was actually some news that was made that week a couple of pretty interesting sidelights. Now, Weyburn's coach was a fellow by the name of Stan Dunn. I'm sure Stan Dunn was a pretty good guy. Must have been a good coach if he advanced to the level of junior hockey in Saskatchewan and he had provided one of these interesting uh, sidelights, and uh, he probably cemented his future as a type of coach that the pros weren't going to take a long look at. Dunn, with his team trailing in the series two games to none, proclaimed that Montreal star player Gilbert Perreault. Thought to be the easy first overall pick in this June's big amateur draft, he thought Gilbert Perot was rated, and in fact, overrated, and he made this statement Gilbert Perot is not as good a hockey as Calvin Booth. When Booth wants to, he can do everything Perot can't. Just to be sure that he wasn't misunderstood, Stan Dunn repeated that statement. After Montreal won their third straight game and offered a further assessment of Montreal center's abilities and how he'll fare once he graduates to the professional ranks. Stan said that Pearl's main problem was that he skates with his head down. In the pros, Stan says they'll kill him. Anybody with a long reach can stop him, which we've proven. Now this was after Perreault had answered the criticism by being dominant and scoring two goals to put the baby Habs up 3-0 in game three. Now to be fair to Stan Dunn, Gilbert Perreault was not the dominating figure in this series that he had been previously in the playoffs. But as line mate Bobby Gindone suggested, the players, all of them actually, were just dead tired And they didn't have the energy to compete against Quebec the way they had against the Toronto Marlboros, the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds, and the Quebec Ramparts. That's right. They had three tough series before they played in the final against Weyburn. Now, of course, as we look back at things from our perch here 50 years later, we see that Stan Dunn, good coach so he might have been, couldn't have been more wrong about Gilbert Perrault, as we shall soon see in the NHL. Now, the flim-flon bombers are the champions of the Western Canada Hockey League, which is an outlawed junior league that operates outside of the auspices of the Canadian Amateur Hockey Association. After Game 3 and before the series was even over, they contacted the Montreal Junior Canadians General Manager Phil Wimmer and proposed that the Baby Habs and the Bombers put on a three-game exhibition series to, as in their words, determine the true junior champion of hockey in Canada. Well, General Manager Wimmer sent a quick telegram back to Flin Flon saying, he wasn't interested. Junior Canadians, by the way, won that fourth game of the series by a score of 6-5. They had to actually come back from a 4-2 deficit in the second period. Gilbert Perrault's linemate, Norm Grattan, scored three times for the Junior Canadians, and Perrault had a goal himself and set up all three of Grattan's markers. The American Hockey League Calder Cup Final Series also ended in four straight games. The heavily favored Buffalo Bisons took the series over Springfield and it was no one's surprise. The Bisons in their final season in the American Hockey League led wire to wire in their division and uh, they took the thing without really much resistance from the Springfield Kings, who are the Los Angeles Kings farm team, the final score was 6-2 to two in favor of Buffalo. The Bisons' leading scorer from throughout the playoffs was not the man who led them all through the season, Guy Trache, but rather New York Rangers farmhand Bobby Jones, and he scored two goals to lead the way for the Bisons in the championship game. The score actually, though, could have been a little closer. A Buffalo goalie, Jills Mere was also a hero for, hero for his team. He stopped a good number of surefire goals throughout the series, and especially in the final game. The big news of the week, and this was a bombshell. This came out of Boston, and it broke on the morning of Thursday, May 14th, and it left everyone in the hockey, hockey world shaking their heads. Word came out that Stanley Cup winning coach Harry Sinden was announcing that he was resigning his position as coach of the champion Bruins effective immediately. The initial announcement was that Sinden was leaving the Bruins to join an industrialized housing firm in New York. Bob Wolf, a Boston attorney who also uh, served for Harry Sinden as his counsel, said that Sinden would be working for the company of Sterling Homes of Avon, New York. Now, Sindon had discussed his uh, future with the Bruins the day before late in the afternoon and they'd hastily scheduled the press conference for the following morning. Sindon's comment in the press release was that he had received an exciting offer in the business world and that his only motivation was that he was seeking stability for his family. According to the original report filed by United Press International, Sinden had asked the Bruins not to discuss a new contract for him, despite the fact that his two-year deal with the Bruins expired last week, actually on Sunday, when the Bruins won the Stanley Cup. Most folks were, when the reports first surfaced, a bit dumbfounded by this news. There had been no rumors of any dissatisfaction on Harry's or the Bruins' part, and over the next few days, just about anyone who reported on hockey had an opinion or a theory or an inside scoop as to what really happened between Harry Sinden and the Boston Bruins. Dan Proudfoot got things rolling in the Toronto Globe and Mail the very next morning with his story that Harry had made his decision to leave the Bruins over four months previously and somehow had kept it a secret all this time. Proudfoot's story says that uh, he he ke- actually kept the thing to himself until this past Wednesday afternoon when, as we mentioned, he met with Bruins officials, namely Boston General Manager Milt Schmidt. And Schmidt told Proudfoot that Sinden had called him Wednesday afternoon, requesting a meeting, at which time he informed Milt that he was retiring. The, star- the story carries this quote from Harry. Harry says, I've often wondered about how long I could stay in coaching. It's true, I've had my eyes open for other opportunities for the past couple of years, though I never actually went out looking. This opportunity came up and my wife and I talked about it for about a month. I made up my mind just before Christmas and the people at Sterling Homes have known all along that I would be joining them. At his press conference, Sinden asked the question, what else could I do in hockey? And he's right. He's reached the pinnacle of his profession as far as coaches go. You win the Stanley Cup, about the only thing there is to do after that is repeat, and that's what most try to do. Harry also cited spending more time with his family and his young daughters as a main reason for his decision. Well Friday afternoon there was another story in another Toronto paper and this was one of those Stan Fischler special to the star stories where he claims to have had the real story on what happened. The headline in the paper and that's not Stan's choice was that Harry Sinden quit the Bruins over money. Fischler in the story leads off with saying that he left over money pride and principle. Now Stan quotes the always reliable sources on the team who chose not to be identified in saying that last December, Harry Sinden became fed up with Boston management and the way they were interfering with his running of the team. These sources also said that Sinden decided he would run the club his way and ignore directives from his superiors that he used players designated by them. Stan also had a quote from Phil Esposito, so he put a name to this one as evidence that Sinden was unhappy. Esposito, however, this is what he said in the stories that Sinden had told him that he had received a fantastic business offer uh, from private industry and he did not mention any idea that Sinden was at all unhappy or dissatisfied with the Bruins brass. Fishler also had a quote from a close friend of Sinden who goes unnamed in the story. The quote says the truth is Harry's leaving because he can make twice as much as he would have if he stayed in hockey. If they gave him what he deserved he'd still be coach. The friend went on to say if the Bruins had come up with the right money Harry would still be there but they never did. He thinks uh, Harry will make about $50,000 plus stock options in his new career. Fischler's story doesn't mention the salary that Harry Sinden was actually making with the Bruins. But Pat Kern in that day's Montreal Gazette knew and he reported Harry was making about $27,000 a year as a four-year coach with the Bruins player reaction was pretty much unanimous and they all pretty well backed up what superstar Bobby Orr had to say which was this we're losing a damn good man we did the playing but he was there with us working hard every night he must have got an awfully good deal to leave you know it's a tough job I don't think I'd want to be a coach if anything goes wrong you're the one they go after If we think back a bit over the past couple of years, the idea of Harry Sinden leaving the Bruins really isn't all that outlandish, except for the fact, of course, that he just won a Stanley Cup. There were rumors that he was on shaky ground after the Bruins lost to Montreal in the 1969 semifinals. And we reported here last summer that the Bruins were very interested in bringing in Red Kelly to coach after he had left the Los Angeles Kings Boston was in fact so interested in getting Kelly to get behind their bench that they asked him to sit out the 1969-70 season so they could invest him as bench boss when Sinden's contract expired the next season Well of course now Red Kelly is one of the top names rumored to be Sinden's successor unless of course he re-signs with the Penguins with whom he did a fantastic job as coach this season. Another name suggested as a likely replacement on the Boston bench is Tom Johnson. He's a former Montreal and Boston defenseman who has been with the Bruins for the past few years in an executive capacity. Tom Johnson has no coaching experience, but he is a good company man. If Johnson is hired as coach, then maybe there is something to Stan Fischler's theory that there was too much interference from Bruins management and in Harry's coaching because Tom Johnson is like we say a company man and he'll do whatever the bosses want him to another name that was being mentioned frequently as Harry's replacement was Frank Mathers the longtime coach of the Hershey Bears of the American Hockey League which incidentally is a Boston farm team and another interesting uh, coincidence there are no coincidences Mathers, Scotty Bowman of the Blues, and Emil Francis of the Rangers were all meeting with Milt Schmidt in Boston in the next few days after Sinden's bombshell announcement. All of them were speculated to be trolling for the Boston job, but we can't see Francis leaving the Rangers for Boston. Scotty Bowman might want to go east, but we think he'd probably wait for an opening in Montreal but Boston would be sure to scoop him up if they thought they could get him. In the coming days, a few more names surfaced as well. Uh, Teddy Green, the F- uh, Bruin defenseman who was so badly injured next year, was rumored to retire and take over behind the bench. Milt Schmidt himself, was thought that he would come back and coach once again and even the name of Punch Imlach who of course is the new man running the new Buffalo Sabres franchise was mentioned as a candidate the dark horse candidate and all this might just be Ted Green and a lot of them think that he's being given very serious consideration by Boston management There were a lot of people who uh, did not for one second believe that Harry Sinden was through with hockey and that he was going to go into private enterprise and never be around the rink again. And one of those was Minnesota North Stars general manager, Ren the Bird Blair. Uh, He was a good friend with Harry. They'd been together in many... uh, hockey endeavors over the years and as soon as uh, Harry returned from his vacation he was slated to meet up with Blair just to talk things over now Blair played it coy and termed it a personal conversation but it's well known that the Minnesota North Stars are in the market for a new coach and what better new coach could they get than Harry Sinden who just won a Stanley Cup, if he's available. Blair also said he'd love to have Sinden in the Minnesota organization, if not as coach, then certainly in other management capacity. Well, all the speculation as to why Harry Sinden quit the Bruins was put to rest by the man himself when he sat down with Boston Globe reporter Will McDonough on Friday. It was a lengthy interview. They had a great conversation, and we have some of the main stuff that came out of it. Harry began by saying that he never wanted coaching as a lifelong career after he finished playing, so he would always planned on making his time with the Bruins shorter rather than something that was a long-term endeavor, but he did express surprise that the coaching end for him came as quickly as it did. Sinden said he made up his mind that he would leave hockey on December 23rd. He remembered that date because he said it was two days before Christmas. He said it was his own decision, and if he had wanted to remain with the Bruins for the upcoming season, he certainly could have. The Bruins did not want him to leave. He explained his reasoning uh, that it had nothing to do with any dispute with the Bruins, but rather what he felt was his need to fulfill something that was empty in his own life. He said money was a big part of his decision, not because the Bruins wouldn't pay him, but because the new job offered more money and the potential for future income that he felt he could make that was far better than anything he could make anywhere in hockey. Spending time with the family and the security that the new position offered were also reasons for the decision according to Harry. He also described how he had first come to know his new employers and how the offer of employment was finally made and it's the way these things usually happen, nothing earth-shaking there. By the end of the week, with all the hoopla over Sinden's announcement on the wane, Milt Schmidt told reporters in Boston that the team was in no particular hurry to name a new coach. They wanted to take their time and find the right man to lead them to their next Stanley Cup next season. The news came out in a vague release, small little item from the Canadian press with little detail, as these things often do. On Saturday, May 15th, the Canadian press reported that Pittsburgh Penguins young hockey star Michel Briere had been severely injured in a motor vehicle accident near Millardic, Quebec. That's his hometown. It also reported that a teenager had been struck and killed by the ambulance taking Michel to a local hospital in valdor the report also stated that the vehicle in which briere was riding had left the roadway seven miles west of Mallardic and plowed into a ditch briere was found unconscious some distance from the car his two companions in the vehicle remained inside suffering at the time of this report undisclosed injuries. The Montreal Gazette also had a report that morning saying that Briere was in critical condition in a Montreal hospital and that doctors had given him a 50-50 chance of survival. The Gazette also said that the accident happened on a highway near Valdor, Quebec, which it says is 70 miles from Malardic. And there's a bit of confusion as to where this actually took place at that point in time. The report in the, the Gazette said that Briere was taken to Valdor and then flown to Montreal in the morning. The paper also noted that a Penguin spokesperson said that Briere was to undergo brain surgery that morning in Montreal. Sunday morning, it was the New York Times reporting that Michelle Briere was in fair condition following surgery, which was to remove a blood clot on the brain. The story said the accident took place near Malartic, about 300 miles northeast of Montreal. The Times quoted Dr. Claude Bertrand, who is the chief of neurosurgery at Notre Dame Hospital, who performed the operation saying that Michelle was in fair shape but still in serious condition after the operation. The doctor went on to say that it would not be known for a few days whether the injuries would result in permanent disability for the young hockey star. He confirmed that all of the major injuries suffered by Michelle were to the area of the head and the rest of the body was in pretty good shape. The Pittsburgh Press was on top of the story by Sunday as well. Bill Hufelder is the Penguin's reporter for that paper and he wrote that while Brier remained unconscious throughout Saturday after the surgery, he had somewhat responded to painful stimuli indicating that there was brain activity. Hufelder also quoted Dr. Bertrand as saying, Briere's odds of making a complete recovery by Sunday afternoon were now at 50-50, better than what had been projected the day before, and the New York Times had reported. Bertrand said it would take another 48 hours to get a better idea of how severely Briere may be impaired as a result of his injuries, but in his favor is the fact that he is young and and as a professional athlete, robust and in excellent condition. The press confirmed with Quebec Provincial Police that Briere was driving his 1970 Mercury Cougar when the accident occurred. The uh, police report said that he was found on the highway after being thrown from the automobile when it had flipped once or twice before leaving the road and then coming back onto the pavement the car landed upright with the other two passengers still inside. The police indicated that the speed of the vehicle at the time of the accident could not be determined, but the roadway was dry, the uh, visibility was clear, and the accident took place in daylight hours. Briere's two companions, one described as his best friend, were both listed as in quite satisfactory condition, as of Sunday. One had suffered cuts to his face and arms, with the other sustaining five broken ribs. The police report also said that the ambulance carrying the three injured men to the hospital struck and killed 18-year-old Raymond Perot, who was riding his bicycle along the roadway. It was reported that the boy unfortunately had lost control of his bicycle as the ambulance approached him with the lights and sirens flashing. Penguins coach Red Kelly was reached for comment and he said that all you can do is pray and hope for the best. Teddy Green had brain surgery and apparently has come out of it well. Well, maybe Mike will be all right as well. Another young hockey player was also injured. In an automobile accident this week, the Canadian press reported that Bob Stewart, a defenseman with the Oshawa Generals of the Ontario Hockey Association Junior A Series, was in intensive care in the Oshawa General Hospital with possible internal lacerations and a concussion. Stewart was in a car that left an Oshawa roadway, burst through a fence, rolled over twice before coming to rest on the front lawn of a residence. Oshawa teammate Jerry Mahan and another young male were also in the car, but they were reported to be resting in satisfactory condition. lot of other hockey news this week actual news about hockey instead of all this bad stuff teams were winding down their season operations and the NHL clubs were beginning to gear up for the league's meetings to be held in June and this year there would be a special attraction with the expansion draft to stock the new Buffalo Sabres and Vancouver Canucks with players the first player of the week to actually make some news was Bruce Gamble of the Toronto Maple Leafs, their uh, beleaguered goaltender who faced a lot of rubber this season. Bruce has said that he is going to wear a face mask next season when the Leafs resume play. He said he was greatly affected by the injury suffered by Jacques Plant during the Stanley Cup final, and with Plant's word that the mask saved his life. Gamble figured it's time. Bruce was one of only four National Hockey League goalkeepers who played barefaced this past season. The others were Eddie Jackman of the New York Rangers, Les Binkley of the Pittsburgh Penguins, and veteran Gump Worsley, who ended up the season with the Minnesota North Stars. Dan Proudfoot in the Globe and Mail had a lengthy article about what he says should be a very busy trading off season for the NHL especially leading up to the June meetings. Incidentally the trade deadline prior to those uh, June meetings has been moved back to May 22nd a week after May 15th. Now Proudfoot mentioned that the goalkeeping in St. Louis could be a catalyst for spurring trades around the league. The Blues know they're going to have to move one of Glenn Hall or Jacques Plant because one of them won't be protected in the expansion draft and Scotty Bowman hates to lose an asset and get nothing back in return. Proudfoot's money is on Jake the Snake being the one that's dealt by the Blues. He's a couple years older than Hall, makes a little bit more money, and there seems to be a market for Jacques in the league. Hall of course retires every fall, but Scotty is pretty sure that with a two-year contract, Glenn Hall will be with the Blues this fall for sure. Proudfoot said that while rumors are abound that Plant is going to be moved to Toronto as part of a three-way deal to finish up the Tim Horton deal that was made last season, uh, Bowman says that Plant will not be part of that exchange. But Blue's assistant general manager Cliff Fletcher said that Toronto still could end up with Plant. It's entirely possible. It just won't be related to anything that happened between Toronto and New York back in the regular season. Proudfoot also mentioned a rumored deal that would take place between the Maple Leafs and the Philadelphia Flyers. This would be a big one. Proudfoot said that the rumor had Toronto center Mike Walton and goalie Bruce Gamble who we just talked about going to Philadelphia. Coming to Toronto would be goaltender Bernie Perrant and center Andre Lacroix. Flyers general manager Keith Allen quickly laughed that one off when contacted by Proudfoot. He said that would be a great deal for Toronto. Allen did say however that the Flyers are in the market to pick up a young scoring left winger as their left wingers are all getting fairly long in the tooth at this point in their career. Stay tuned on that one. Scotty Bowman of the St. Louis Blues, just days after his team had been whitewashed by the Boston Bruins in four straight games in the Stanley Cup Final, got together with Wally Cross of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch to talk about the Blues off-season plans and what the team might look like next season. He said that uh, the rest of the Blues management team and himself would sequester themselves in Florida this week to map out their summer strategy. Bowman dismissed the plant and Orland curtainback rumor that we've heard earlier uh, as being part of the Tim Horton deal as, quote, pure speculation but Scotty acknowledges that he would rather move one of Plant or Glenn Hall rather than lose them only for cash in the expansion draft and that's just what Jim Proudfoot had reported in Toronto today as well Bowman said that the Blues picked ninth in the amateur draft and they have several players on which they have their eye Uh, the players he mentioned that the Blues would like to get uh, were Craig Ramsey of Peterborough goalie dan bouchard of london serge lajeunesse a defenseman of montreal junior canadians right winger al mcdonough from the st Catharines blackhawks a uh, stylish center ricky mcleish of the peterborough Peets, another hard-working center daryl sittler of the london knights and hamilton red wings truculent uh, right winger buster harvey Scotty would not confirm or deny that he would hire a new coach for next season so that he could concentrate on his general manager duties. But that rumor remains out there with fellas like Dickie Moore and Al Arbor mentioned as possible successors. And speaking of National Hockey League coaches and a former coach, Bert Olmstead, who was the first bench boss of the Oakland Seals, He is working again in hockey, but he's not going back to the professional ranks. He is going to coach Mount Royal Junior College in Alberta next season. That team is supposed to be entering the Alberta Junior Hockey League, and Burt will be the bench boss. There was a lot of scuttlebutt around Montreal after the Stanley Cup was awarded that Habs captain Jean Beliveau is considering hanging up his skates. But John put an end to the rumors himself more or less anyway. Uh, Big John speaking at a couple of uh, of end-of-season banquets, something he loves to do and appears a lot at, he left the definite impression, speaking to uh, the crowds at those banquets, that he wants to play at least one more season. The word is that Bellevue, who's a very proud man and one of the best human beings to ever lace on a pair of skates in the NHL, John does not want to end his career on a losing note and with the Canadians having missed the playoffs this season, he figures his team can still be competitive and compete for the Stanley Cup next year and he wants to be around for it. Let's hope John gets back next year. On Friday, a report actually was at a banquet. Dennis Dupere of the New York Rangers uh, told people there that he had been told by the Rangers that day that he was being traded to the Toronto Maple Leafs as part of the deal that sent Tim Horton to the Rangers during this past season. He did not know in the names of any other players that might be going to Toronto but it's widely rumored that Buffalo Bison's right winger Guy Trache will also be joining the Toronto Maple Leafs sooner rather than later. We mentioned about a week ago I think it was that Bill Gadsby the fired Detroit Red Wings coach had been rumored to have been considered by the Vancouver Canucks to be coach of their Rochester Americans American Hockey League farm team as it turns out that was true the Canucks wanted Gadsby and general manager Bud Poyle offered him to his pick of whatever Vancouver farm team he wanted to coach but Bill turned the job down this week saying that he was getting out of pro hockey completely and you really can't blame him in the after the shabby manner in which Detroit Red Wings owner Bruce Norris treated him this year. We hope Bill gets back in hockey. He's one of the good guys around the game and uh, we're sure he'll be back at some point in time. <laughs> The Canucks, by the way, are still trying to work out an indemnification plan with the Western Hockey League for the NHL's invasion of that league's territory. The WHL wants about $1.2 million in compensation. That's a figure suggested by the team's previous owner. The new ownership group, which is uh, MediCorps from Minneapolis, Minnesota, Doesn't want to pay that much, and I can't blame him. That's a lot of money. The talks will probably continue throughout the summer from what we're hearing. As the week came to an end as it usually does on Saturdays we had Stan Fischler's hockey column in the sporting news to keep us entertained if not informed and Stan does inform us pretty much as well. This week Stan reported on a strong possibility that Penguins coach Red Kelly would be moving to Toronto to take over the Toronto Maple Leafs coaching post and that it would be a stupid move for a Pittsburgh club not to retain Kelly's services. Uh, Stan also reported that the Penguins have mishandled veteran Andy Bathgate who uh, belongs to Pittsburgh but played in the Western Hockey League last season and was the Western Hockey League MVP. Stan suggests uh, in his story that Bathgate likes Vancouver and might want to play for the new Canucks team in the NHL next year which would be an embarrassment to the Penguins. Well, Andy Bathgate didn't play in Pittsburgh this year for a couple of reasons. The Penguins wanted him back. They asked him to come back. He told them that not only does he like Vancouver, but he doesn't think his knees would stand up to the rigors of an NHL season. And he likes the West Coast and he would like to stay there. What Stan has to remember is if Andy Bathgate wants to play in the NHL, The Penguins have the ultimate control over where Bathgate plays and whom he plays for. Stan should know that. So that's the news from the hockey world this week, boys and girls. And what have we learned this time around? Well, we saw the two remaining hockey series come to their ends with Montreal Canadiens juniors winning the Memorial Cup and the Buffalo Bisons ending their American Hockey League history with a Calder Cup championship and both series just like the NHL finished off in four straight games. Harry Sinden shocked the hockey world by quitting the Boston Bruins and the writers had all kinds of conspiracy theories as to what his reasons were, but it turns out Harry just got a chance to make an awful lot of money without having run around all over the North American continent with hockey teams all winter and instead he can stay home with his family. Why wouldn't you do it? And we received news that the Penguins, uh, young superstar Michel Briere, had been badly injured in a car accident in Quebec. And we all hope for his rapid recovery. This is a young budding star who can be critical to the success of NHL hockey in Pittsburgh, and he's also a guy who's a lot of fun to watch play. Let's hope Michelle can get back. And now I guess we can say that the 1970 hockey offseason has officially begun. News will continue to be made up right until the NHL meetings, which take place in the second week of June, and we'll have it all for you. We'll also have some other hockey content for the podcast. We've been doing some interviews over the winter with hockey people, and we'll uh, present some of those as we go along, and we're working on some more that we had planned before everything became locked down. We want to thank each and every one of you for following along all season, and we're gratified at the number of people who think there's some value in this project, and we plan on keeping on, keeping on next year. While we're not sure if we'll have a Stanley Cup winner for the 2020 season, we're not even sure if we're going to have a 2021 season, we know what a great year 1970-71 was, and we'll be giving you all those details every day on Twitter and every week in this podcast. The 50 Years Ago in Hockey podcast is produced by Andy Cole, and I can't thank him enough for everything that he does for us. Uh, the very popular Juno-nominated Toronto indie rock group The Rural Alberta Advantage provides our introduction music And if you ever get a chance to see them perform live They put on a wonderful show I'm so upset we had planned to see the the band a couple times this summer and right now it doesn't look like it's going to happen. Now other musical pieces and sound effects in the podcast come from Andy Cole as well. Our research is done with files from the Toronto Star, the Toronto Globe and Mail, and of course the many fine publications found at newspapers.com. Andy Cole has a new podcast that's coming out. It's based on the TV show Council of Dads. It's called the Council of Council of Dads. And it should be available this week as well. And that goes along with his present podcast, Let's Write a Song. Both of these are pretty interesting to listen to. If you get a chance, tune in. You can find us on Twitter at hockey 50 years and on Facebook under 50 Years Ago in Hockey, and at our WordPress site, Hockey50YearsAgo.com. And now we also have a YouTube channel as well that you can get by looking up 50 Years Ago in Hockey. Thanks again, everyone. And with that, we'll see you next time. When the ice spray.